Well, welcome everybody tonight. Um, <clears throat> I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, we're going to take a departure from our regular Wednesday evening study and actually <clears throat> look at the topic of thankfulness tonight. Seeing as it's Thanksgiving Eve, and I think we all can use a little thankfulness in our life. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, and you should, because this is a Bible study, open that to Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in the pew in front of you. You can grab that. Open up to Luke 17. We're going to begin our reading in verse 11. A familiar story to most of us. And it will be our launching pad tonight for the study on Thanksgiving. I do want to remind you what Pastor Steve said. If you don't have plans tomorrow, obviously we'll be out out celebrating and hopefully after tonight with even greater thankful hearts on Thanksgiving at the ranch from 1 to 4. But reading in verse 11, chapter 17, book of Luke, We read, now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria in Galilee. And what that means is, is he's in that territory that splits those two regions of the promised land. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was as they went they were cleansed. And so we have this scene open up for us. Jesus, on his trek now to Jerusalem, um, comes to a certain village in this territory of transition between Samaria and Galilee and outside of the city, not even waiting for Jesus to come in, he meets up with these ten men who have leprosy. It says they stood afar off, and as we continue to read, we know at least one of them is a Samaritan, but because it's in that nether region, we could surmise that the group is made up of Jews and Samaritans. It's interesting that though Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with one another, their common affliction joined them together. 
because with leprosy you were a complete outcast. You couldn't worship in the synagogues if you were a Jew. You had to walk on the other side of the street when people were coming towards you. This is why they stood afar off, it said, and rather than approach Jesus, they called out to him. And they call out to him, Jesus, Master, please have mercy on us. It also is interesting to note that they didn't ask him for healing. They just said, would you have mercy on us? making the assumption that Jesus, who had healed many, would have mercy on them by healing them. Jesus' words to them are quite interesting when you think about it. He doesn't say, you're healed. He doesn't say, mercy be upon you. He just tells them, go and present yourself to the priest. Harkening back to the Levitical or the law on how leprosy was dealt with, especially when one thought they were healed or, or that they had leprosy, they would approach the priest and there was a ceremonial way that the priest went through determining if the leprosy was healed or if it was ongoing. So Jesus doesn't say you're healed. He just calls them back and says, go present yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now let's make note of the fact that the word cleanse there means as you would clean utensils, as you would clean up your body from being dirty. That wasn't a salvific term of being cleansed as much as they were cleansed of their leprosy. So Jesus sends them on the way, and as they obediently are following the command of Jesus to go present themselves to the priests, they're cleansed of their leprosy. This is when the story gets interesting and really on topic for us tonight, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith 
has made you well. You see, in this story, we have these ten men all suffering from the same affliction. They all banded together, and again, I'm inferring upon the scripture that because Jesus at the end singles out the Samaritan as a foreigner, that we could surmise the other nine may have been Jewish. And so these ten approach Jesus, call out to him, he gives them instruction, and please notice the action. They all went obediently to do what Jesus said to do, but only one saw and returned. The ten all received, by the way, nothing in the text that says Jesus took away the cleansing from the other nine. But interesting to note, he says your faith to this one has made you well. In another translation, has made you whole. There's something embedded in here for you and I tonight. You see, it was his faith outworking through thankfulness through which he was made well or whole. And that word has messianic content connotations to it. As it says when he was made well or whole, it's as if everything that would have hindered him from receiving the ministry of the Messiah was removed. In other words, in this point in time, his heart became fully the Lord's. Ten received the same healing, only one was made whole. And the difference is a heart of thankfulness. So often we can focus on the one and say, isn't he great, right? He did what was right. He was a thankful man for his healing. He came back to give glory to God. And we can preach a message about that man. But my question is, is what kept the other nine from being thankful? What hindered them from seeing as the one Samaritan saw. Pause there for a minute. There was another Samaritan that we've read about in the story of Jesus, actually in the story that Jesus told. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here, this Samaritan saw and returned. In the story of the Good Samaritan, 
I believe he'd seen, so we went. You see, there in both of those stories, I believe, embedded in the heart of these two Samaritan men was a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to God. One that caused him to return and give glory to God. The other to go on behalf of God out of a thankful response for what God had done in his life. He was moved with compassion. Both saw Jesus. Both saw God. But what about these nine? It says they went, and they went right off the pages of the Bible. Did they get wrapped up in their newfound freedom? I mean, for who knows how long social outcasts <clears throat> did they get distracted by all the world had to offer them now? I don't know. But the scriptures make it clear the difference between the nine and the one was the one was grateful and in contrast the other nine appear to be ungrateful for what has been done for them. <clears throat> so tomorrow we celebrate Thanksgiving. I made some notes. Thanksgiving, or in the Bible, the giving of thanks to God <clears throat> for all his blessings, is clearly one of the distinctive marks of a believer in the Scripture. Over and over again, we're told, give thanks to the Lord. I was thinking about this, and <clears throat> you should be thankful I can't sing. But I remember two old school worship songs that came hearkening back. Give thanks, to, uh, give thanks with a grateful heart. You remember all those old time people, you remember that worship song? You young people, I don't know that you really know it. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. The chorus says, And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Or how about this one, forever? Do you remember that one? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. 
sing praise. Then it says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, his love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Throughout all the scriptures and in so many of our songs that we sing out to the Lord, it is clear the distinctive mark of a believer is that of being thankful. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all the... I should have put it on the wall, obviously. In all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Parenthetically for you and for me. As pastors all the time, we tell you, you got to read the Bible, you got to pray. You got to read the Bible, you got to pray. No longer is that going to be what I say. You got to read the Bible, you got to pray, and you have to have a heart of thankfulness. Isn't it interesting in those um, three verses? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in all things give thanks. Prayer is the meat between the two pieces of bread of rejoicing and giving thanks. In fact, without rejoicing and giving thanks, prayer becomes nothing more than you asking for God what you want. It's interesting when you think about it that way. So thankfulness is right up there. I believe, excuse me, in the heart of God with what distinguishes a believer in Christ. We can't allow a spirit of ingratitude to harden our hearts or chill out our relationship with God. And nothing turns us into bitter, selfish, dissatisfied people any quicker than an ungrateful heart. But today, unfortunately, ingratitude and thankful, thanklessness is all too common. Kids don't thank their parents for what they do for them. It's funny, we were just joking the other day with my youngest, Mariah. My wife is just, my wife just keeps getting smarter the older Mariah gets. 
You guys aren't awake tonight. The older Mariah gets, the more thankful she is for the mom that God gave her, and the smarter that Michelle becomes in her eyes. But how often, as kids, we're ungrateful, we don't thank our parents for what they did for us. Um, Or common courtesy isn't even a part of life anymore. We don't say thank you. We take for granted the way others help us, provide for us, take care of us, lead us, and guide us. We just take it for granted. Above all, we fail to thank God for his blessings. As far as I can tell, in the Bible, it makes being in uh, the act of being in gratitude a sin. No different than thanklessness, stealing, immorality, lying. Catch this in Romans one twenty one. One of the Bible's indictments against rebellious humanity is this. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So, from one end of the Bible to the other, we're called to be thankful, yet in reality... None of us are probably as thankful as we should be. And for some, being unthankful is a way of life. It is their way of life. So, with that, we know that Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights, yet so often we don't reflect the radiance of the light we're called to be. So in light of that, in the light of the nine who went away displaying ungrateful, I'm going to give you six roads to an ungrateful heart tonight. You guys ready for that? Instead of talking about roads to a thankful heart, let's talk about roads to an unthankful heart. Road number one, just assume being thankful is difficult. Being thankful is difficult, right? Even though the Bible suggests we should be thankful and do everything without complaining, there's just so much to complain about, including that I haven't perfected my ability to complain. And hey, it's common knowledge 
that it's easier to frown than smile, that uses less muscles. So I'm just going to accept the fact that being thankful is difficult, and therefore I'm just not going to operate in thankfulness. I'm sure that if Paul saw how productive I could be at grumbling, he'd have taken those words back that he wrote about not grumbling and complaining in the book of Philippians, how productive and how good I can be at it. That's a road to an ungrateful heart. Road number two, keep a journal. In that journal, record all the things that bother you. Every day, set out to write four things down that bothered you that day and go back the next day and read your journal of all the things that bother you in life. Just keep a journal. Maybe you don't want to write it down. Just keep it in your mind. I know you can do that. I talk to you people. So just keep a journal of everything that bothers you and spend time each day reflecting on those things. Those people, you know which ones I'm talking about? Obviously, Sephora does. Those situations, those things that just really chafe you. If you find you are feeling content, just keep your journal handy, pull it out, read those things. It's a road to an ungrateful heart. Think about the words you use. Language matters, so be mindful of the adjectives you use. The more strongly you learn to label things, the better you're going to be at cultivating an ungrateful heart. Let words like horrible, bad, atrocious, irritating, idiot, loser, or my favorite, bless their heart. (laughs) Let those be the language you use every day. Let those words permeate your communications as you talk about people and things. Allow yourself to be distracted. Thankful people are typically thankful because they lack the ability to remember the bad stuff that's happened in the past or worry adequately about things that might happen in the future. 
top-level ungrateful people, they need to be good at both of those. Remember everything that's happened in the past that's bad and worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Become good at those things. Focus on your self-centered prayer time. Prayer is a wonderful tool for getting what you want to the grumbler, complainer, and ungrateful person. Consider the nine lepers. If prayer is communicating to God, you with me? And they cried out to Jesus who's God, we can say that when they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, that that was a prayer. Is that fair? Prayer, communicating to God, Jesus is God, they cried out to him, sounds a lot like prayer to me. For nine of them, it was a self-centered prayer. It was all about what they could get. Don't waste your time praising or rejoicing or thanking God. Just tell Him what you want. Okay, a couple more. Because I know you want them. Avoid focusing on your health. Just don't take care of yourself. Right? Get as little sleep as possible. And think that exercise is poison. And sugar is good. There you go. That'll help with your attitude. And lastly, circumstance and situation matters. Clearly, thankfulness is controlled by what's going on in your life. If you're unhappy, then you don't need to be thankful, right? I mean... Surely, if I'm not happy, then I'm not bound by being thankful in my circumstance and situation. You see, you look at those things and they sound silly. We giggle, we laugh. Half of you were done when I was three into the list. But if we're honest, we see each of those reflected in our lives. If we're really going to be honest tonight, we would have to admit there's been times where being ungrateful was easier than being thankful. We have to admit we do keep journals. Maybe not on paper, 
but in our minds. We use words all the time that show a level of ingratitude. Not toward men even, but more so toward God. We allow ourselves to be good at focusing on what happened yesterday and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow more than being thankful for where God has us today. And so on, and so on. But God calls us to be a thankful people, not a thankless people. Obviously, we don't need any help in being ungrateful. But we are called not to be ungrateful, but thankful. Thankfulness is what God deserves from us and wants our hearts to spring forth in. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in all things, give thanks. My question for you tonight, in light of the roads to ungratefulness, is what is not included in all? It's not a trick question. What is not included in all. Okay, I'll wait till somebody answers. What is not included in all? Nothing. Nothing is not included in all. So when God says, give thanks in all things, There's nothing we cannot and have not been instructed in by the Lord to give thanks in. No circumstance, no situation, no difficult person. Fill in the blank. There's nothing in which we're called by God to not give thanks in. And surely there's nothing that God calls us to be unthankful for in our lives. Psalm 50. I won't read all of it to you. I encourage you to jot that down and read the whole psalm. But Down in verse 14, it says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Just before that, he's talking about how 
He's not going to accept their offerings. It's not in the offerings that he finds joy. He doesn't need food. He owns everything. His point is that his desires they'd offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then in the last verse of the psalm, it says, The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. Our Lord endures forever. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Paul, over and over again in his writings, calls upon us to be thankful, but we're called to be thankful in everything. So as we move towards the communion table, maybe tonight you're saying, well, what is it we're supposed to thank God for? So I have a list for that too. I'll move through it relatively quickly. Number one, jot this down. This is your list you take home with you. Forget the other list. Remember this one. Thank God for the material blessings that he's poured out in your life. I find that many people I deal with never seem to be satisfied. And it doesn't matter how rich or poor they are. I've talked to really wealthy people who are miserable. I've talked to people who have nothing who have joy. Some of the most joyful Christians I knew know are doing life in prison in Louisiana. But there are some of the most joyful, thankful people I know. So it's not about how much or how little you have. The difference is what we do have, we realize, came from God. And nothing sucks the air out of you quicker than not thanking God for all he's poured into your life. So thank God for the material blessings he's given you. Paul said in Philippians, I've learned the secret. This is NIV, by the way. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Paul was a man who had a spirit of thankfulness such that even in the Roman prison, he would sing praise songs to God. He just thanked God for whatever he did have. Thank God for the people in your life. 
the good and the horror. One of the most impactful um, books I ever read was a book entitled, and I can't believe I'm blanking on the name right now, Well-Intentioned Dragons. Did you ever read that book, Pastor Steve? Well-Intentioned Dragons. It was a book written for people in ministry because the beautiful side of ministry and the hard side of ministry is people. You've heard it said ministry would be easy except for people. There just wouldn't be any ministry without them. But the book was about how do you deal with difficult people in ministry. And the whole premise of the book was being thankful not just for those that you can get along with, but even those that um, at times can be a little bit harder for you to get along with. And the most challenging chapter in the book, the title of it was, What About When the Dragon is Right? There you go. Sometimes God puts people in your life because he's trying to hone you, mold you, and shape you into the image of Christ. And you're a little stony, and he needs to use a chisel and a hammer. And we cry out, and we become ungrateful. But we need to thank God for every person he has in our life. Our family, our friends, our acquaintances, and even those that may appear to be our enemy. Thank God in the midst of trials and persecutions. We should be thankful to God even them. Most of us draw back when we're confronted with trials, tribulations, and persecutions. The fact is, everybody's going to be confronted with them. James says, consider it pure, pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the tasting of your faith will produce perseverance. Embrace difficulties and trials. Be thankful, because the end result is that God is using them in our lives to mold us and shape us Consider the prophet Daniel when he learned that evil men were plotting against him. It says he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God just as he had always done before, even though that very act was the act that they were going to use against him to get him in trouble and got him thrown in the lion's den. 
Yet he got on his knees in the face of it and gave thanks to God. Thank God for all those things that we're confronted with. Paul said in Colossians, you will even be able to thank God in the midst of pain and distress because you're privileged to share the lot of those who are living in the light. So thank God for trials and tribulations. Thank God for his continued presence and power in your life. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always with us. By the way, one of the most unbiblical prayers we pray is God be with us. It's unbiblical. If you're a believer, he's always with you. He's residing in you, in the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord that no matter where I go, no matter where I find myself, God's continued presence in my life is a reality. And not just his presence, Presence, but if he's present with me, his power is with me as well. Amen? Thank God for his ongoing protection and guidance. I'll say two words. Mudman truck. Now, only two words I need to say. Thank God for his protection and guidance. Every moment of every day. Thank God for his infinite wisdom, which is available to you just for the asking. Do you not know what to do? Do you not know the direction to go? Do you not know the answer to the question? In the midst of the trial, do you not know how to navigate it? The word says ask, 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 and God will liberally give you his wisdom through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, and most importantly, Thank God especially for his salvation found in Jesus Christ. God gave us the greatest gift of all, his son, who died on the cross. Paul wrote, thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. He also wrote in Colossians, Give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sin. 
So thank God, especially for his salvation in Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but receive everlasting life. Tomorrow, we celebrate Thanksgiving. There's only two people in this room right now that know the condition of your heart. That's you and God. We only see what you want us to see. You know whether you have an ungrateful heart or a thankful heart. You know whether you have the list and the journals and all those things. But tomorrow is a day of thanksgiving. I think on that first Thanksgiving, my numbers are going to be a little off. But we don't actually consider what was happening on that day. There was over a hundred pilgrims who had lost their life to weather and disease. And yet, the remaining something like 46 gathered together with some of the natives in the area and celebrated with a thanksgiving meal, giving thanks to God for the provision of this new land. Many years later, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the day of Thanksgiving following the Civil War. And that is the heritage that tomorrow rests upon. It's not just a day to get together and eat turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, corn, cranberries. <laughs> Green bean casserole. <laughs> Enjoy some fellowship. It is those things. It's not just a day to overgorge yourself in gluttony and sin with food and then pack down that food with pumpkin and apple pie and a good cup of coffee. It's not about the leftovers the next day and the day after. And the day after. 
It is all those things. But first and foremost, for us as believers, this is the that's established upon a small group of people whose sole desire was to worship God in a manner and way that was glorifying of Him. And following hardship and trial, set aside time to give thanks to God. And it's the day that we, as believers, can proclaim that the other 364 days of the year will be days that we also rejoice and give thanks to the Lord in. And we can corporately come together on that day to proclaim how thankful we are. But thankfulness is not just a one-day event. It's a 365-day event. I think Charles Dickens said, I'll be thankful 364 days. Give me just one to complain. We don't get the one in the Lord. We should be a thankful people. If for no other reason than that table right there. We deserve hell. In Christ we get heaven. What do we have to be unthankful about? What's included what's not included in all? That's your answer. We have nothing to be ungrateful about. Everything is in the sovereign hand of God being used for his glory and our good, even if we can't see it in the moment. So we rest in him and we're thankful in him. Amen?